Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Critical Witness. I hope you like the snazzy new uh, countdown we have. But if you're on the podcast, you won't have seen that. So um, there's that. Welcome. We're going to be talking with Craig uh, from 136 Apologetics in a moment, talking about uh, apologetics, responding to Jehovah's Witnesses, and probably getting into things about Jesus, God, and Trinity, and, and things like that. So if that interests you, stick around, and hopefully you'll enjoy the conversation. Uh, if you're watching this live, feel free to ask us questions in the live chat. We will try and respond. And uh, while you're at it, do find 136 Apologetics on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, and uh, give him a like, a follow, and a subscribe, depending on which social media platform you're on at the time. So we're going to go straight into the conversation. Uh, Craig, you welcome. Thank welcome you. to Critical Witness. You've been on here before and you said a little bit of your story um, what was it, on the live Q&A when we celebrated mm-hmm. 200 subscribers, 115 subscribers ago. Um, just to put the numbers out there for people mm-hmm. if they're interested. <laughs> um, would you give us a sort of five minute summary of who you are and why you're a Christian. And then we'll, we'll start discussing what you do with 136 Apologetics. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Craig Northwood. Um, I live in a little town in South Wales. I grew up in a kind of very nominally sort of Christian home. My parents used to take me to church a bit when I was younger. That kind of gradually fizzled out. Um, probably, I think when I was about 10 or 11, um, I kind of got the impression years later that my, my mother had been hurt by somebody in the church, I'm not sure. So my parents continued to kind of have some sort of faith. Um, I lost interest in it. I, did, I didn't really have any interest in it at all. As a teenager, I started getting more and more hostile towards Christianity. Um, so I was pretty much a confirmed atheist by the time I was in my mid-teens. Um, as, as I got a bit older, I kind of um, got a bit too friendly with alcohol as a lot of teenagers will, and then that kind of spiraled out of control. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was a full-blown alcoholic, um, mid to late 20s, lost my job, um, lost a lot of friends, um, health deteriorated. I was at one point diagnosed with um, a blood clot on my brain as well, so I developed epilepsy as a result of that. Um, yeah, and life was, you know, life was pretty dark. I was, I was living with my mother after my parents got divorced. I was basically spending my days sitting on my bedroom floor drinking cheap vodka and watching films and just kind of hoping I wouldn't wake up again. So it was, you know, it was pretty dark. Um, after, I couldn't tell you how long I've been doing that. I mean, that, that went on for a long time. And then somehow, and to this day, I, I don't exactly know how I was, I was drunk all the time, so I don't know how it came about. Somehow um, a couple called uh, Faye and Kenny came to my house to talk to me to explain how, um, basically how Jesus had set them free from 
from heroin addiction and how they worked with an organization, a, a string of Christian rehabs who were willing to help me. And I got to be honest, I, you know, still very much angry atheist kind of guy. I didn't really have in, any interest in God, but I, I kind of, I kind of got to the stage where what was sort of pulling me back was I could see how much I was hurting my mum. Um, so I thought maybe I, you know, I'd better get myself sorted out. So I kind of figured that I'd go into this rehab that they were going to help me with for a couple of weeks, get off the drink, come out before they gave me too much of their God nonsense. <laughs> so I was there for a few months. And to my surprise and everybody else's surprise, I got saved. <laughs> that was 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago now. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just kind of progressed from there, really. Um, met a girl, moved to a little tiny town, got married. And um, yeah, and there we go. Nice. Well, good stuff. And uh, amazing testimony of saving grace yeah. <laughs> in the midst yeah. of darkness. Um, yeah, th thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, good to see where you're at now. So you, you've mm. been writing a few blog posts and you've, you've sort of set up 136 Apologetics. Mm. Um, what's your sort of motivation behind that? Uh, what's its focus? Um, well, 136 started from, um, I was at a, an kind of an apologetics like training day down in London quite a few years ago. And I got talking to an American couple who were in the, in the queue in front of me waiting to go in. And they said, you know, apologetics over here, it's kind of, it's almost like a kind of barely recognized subculture. I mean, I, I think it's progressed quite a bit in the last few years, but they said in America, it's just like, it, it's part and parcel of the Christian scene. You know, you have apologetics ministries attached to different churches. There are shows and radio stations and well-known apologists do tours of churches and things. And I thought, well, why can't it be like that over here? You know, why, why can't, why can't we have some of that? Um, so I came back to, little South Wales and that kind of brewed around in my head for a while. And then I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to set something up. So I, I started 136. I got it registered as a charity, which just took months of slog and battling with people at the Charities Commission and things. And the, I mean, my my main interest is in um, is in speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses. But obviously, I think apologetics has got a place in the church, um, not as big a place, I think, as some people might want it to have. But I think it is an important tool for evangelism to a certain extent. So I just figured, well, I'll set this up, um, get speakers in to speak on things because I don't I don't really know. I'm not an expert. I, I don't have lots of degrees and things. I kind of know bits and pieces, but I just want to get speakers in. So 136 really is the kind of legal entity that money changes hands for, hmm. for, you know, organized events when we get speakers in. Okay. Um, why 136? Which That's from First uh, Corinthians three verse six, where Paul said uh, he broke through the Corinthians. Um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I sort of always wanted it to be at the forefront. That like, yeah, we can learn lots of clever stuff. We can learn lots of things, and you can sort of have answers to arguments and stuff like that. But ultimately, we rely on the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, we rely on God. So, you know, evangelism isn't about being super clever. It's about trusting in God. Hmm. Nice one, Dan. You got anything? Well, I was just to get, I was just to get stuck in. Yeah, well, let's, let's yeah. get stuck in. So we've got, we've got to focus on JWs tonight, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and how to respond to various arguments um, which you've been 
engaging with on your website. So Dan, just let, let's let's do let's just go straight into them. What's your question? Okay, so uh, it might be I feel a good place to start is the fact they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it might be helpful for you to uh, explain um, what's the deal with Jehovah, the emphasis on on that, and that being the uh, the, the personal sort of name of God uh, that that Jehovah's Witnesses use, uh, yeah. rather than rather than any of the the alternatives that are perhaps more uh, traditional. Yeah, well, um, as you you probably know, I mean Jehovah isn't actually. The name that's in the bible there's no j sound in the hebrew alphabet so it probably would have been yahweh but all the way back when in the late 1800s well when charles russell first started the jehovah's witnesses um he started it partly he he kind of was brought up in a christian home but he kind of split off from it quite quickly because he wasn't happy with quite a few doctrines that either he didn't like or he didn't or he couldn't get his head around and one of them was the trinity so he wanted the focus just to be on, as, as he thought it was pronounced then, Jehovah. And they took the name, I think it was from Isaiah 43 something, I forget the exact reference, where, where Yahweh basically said, you will, be, you will be my witnesses. And he was talking to Israel, but they, they just took it from there. So, mm. yeah, I don't think there's any, any great story behind it. So they don't, but they don't have any, my understanding is they, they, they wouldn't, ref, they don't, refer to god as yahweh um, no. they would they would say that the but do you under it doesn't matter if you don't i mean but the, the sort of history of like how how do we end up with jehovah as the as this kind of term that we're using for for, for god are they what why they say it seems, it seems like a really big thing to them like it seems yeah it's it's enormous and i mean they they go so far as to like in their translation of the bible they've put jehovah into the new testament when it's, I mean, it's a mispronunciation of a Hebrew word that isn't in the New Testament, obviously, because it was written in Greek, and they put it in there like 200 odd times. And it, it's it's enormously important to them, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, they insist on the, the proper use of his name. They insist on using his name all the time. And if you talk to them, they will kind of acknowledge, yeah, maybe, maybe it isn't Jehovah, you know. Um, words kind of got out over the past 100 or so years that it, it would be pronounced Yahweh, but they, they focus on just Jehovah and it, they think it disrespectful to use anything else. I mean, I, I'm not sure beyond that. Very strange. Um, go on, Phil. Yeah, yeah uh, I think just before you kind of get stuck, stuck in, I, I guess is pointing out what what are the sort of main differences between Christians and JWs. I mean, you, you have a JW on the, the doorstep and mm-hmm. you, they would generally call themselves christian they yeah. use that they follow jesus um they'd use terminology that any christian would probably recognize as f- legitimate christian terminology um what what are the the main differences i guess um, and why do they get the label of cult um or are they religion <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the, there are a few very big differences and then then quite a few small ones i mean the the biggest difference is obviously they they reject the trinity they um they they're basically Arians. they believe that jesus was created being they believe that he is actually the archangel michael they believe that the watchtower organization is the um 
the representative of, of God on earth. So you, in order to be actually saved, you have to be a part of the Watchtower organization. They believe that um, at Armageddon, there will be 144,000 members, 144,000 what they call the anointed class. I don't think they use that label quite so much now, but the anointed class will, will be in heaven with God. And then all of the other people who are, who were Jehovah's Witnesses when Armageddon happens will be part of what they call the great crowd who will live on um, paradise earth, but they won't, they won't get to go to heaven. Um, they reject salvation by faith. They say that they accept salvation by faith. And they say on their website that, you know, you can't earn salvation. But then at the same time, they'll say, but, you you know, you have to live by the law and you have to um, you've got to be baptized. You've got to be part of the Watchtower organization. You've got to carry on good works. You've got to do what the Watchtower tell you. And then they can um, they can what they call disfellowship. They can disfellowship, which is kind of like the Catholic Church excommunication, where they basically can they'll kick someone out of the watchtower and then they believe that they lose the salvation. And then there's, you know, there's all the things like they don't celebrate birthdays and Christmas, um, blood transfusions, um, lots of, lots of bits and pieces. So the minor, uh, just on that point of clarification then by law, is that old Testament law? Like what, what law are they refer to when you say you have to live by the law? I yeah. I, Predominantly, I think you have to do what the Watchtower tell you, okay. because right. they they hold the Watchtower writings. They kind of um, they teach that Jehovah's Witnesses can't interpret the Bible for themselves; it has to be interpreted for them by the Watchtower. And then they they raise the a lot of Watchtower literature up to the same level as the Bible. Mm -hmm. So they'll take all the things out of the Bible about you know about living a good life and and um, all of the all of the commandments and things like that that we understand obviously that we we do our best to follow the law but ultimately it's faith that saves us whereas they would say yeah you've got to have faith but you you've got to stick to the law as well so yeah old testament law right okay okay so there's, there's a, a few things a few ways that we can um take this conversation i, I think just uh, it'd be interesting just to maybe hit the main one <laughs> head on. Uh, so the, the biggest one that I've had interaction with uh, when I've had a, a JW on the, the doorstep, so to speak, um, they were very much about who Jesus is and uh, is Jesus God and he can't be God. Um, so I, I guess it'd be, uh, maybe as we'll all discuss this to some extent, um, but why is it, Let's start with the, the, the basic. Why is it so important that Jesus is God uh, for for those just entering this conversation? Uh, and then maybe we'll go into um, some of the, the conversation because because the conversation I had was it was very much trying to understand or play on the fact that it's not very easy to figure out how Jesus is God from a material perspective or a, from the creed being. Jesus is the same substance or essence mm. as one God. So if Jesus is down here on earth praying to his father up there, is there some sort of stretchy substance that combines the two? And uh, how, So it was very much playing on that. Well, we can't understand that, so, so it doesn't make sense, and mm. therefore he can't be God. Um, that's probably an oversimplification of their argument, but that's the general gist of it. 
So maybe we'll just sort of backtrack slightly. Why is it vital? What would be your response to why is it vital that, that Jesus is God? Can't a man just die for our sins? Well, because he had to be perfect, for one thing. He had to be a perfect man. I mean, obviously, in the first instance, the Bible reveals that he's God. So we kind of accept that anyway. And it's not it's not a hidden doctrine. It's, it's pretty obvious and it's pretty clearly stated. And it is hard to understand. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, for the sake of the substitutionary atonement, there had to be there had to be almost almost an infinite price or basically an infinite price paid for the sheer amount of sin that had to be covered. Hmm. Um, and no man could be worth that much. The only person that could fulfill the satis uh, satisfy the wrath of God and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law would be God because no human could possibly do it. Hmm. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's to do with the, the price thing we have to pay really yeah and, there, and even the recognition in the gospels that right in the start of it that his mission was to forgive sins and that's mm. very much an understanding within the old testament which the new mm. testament builds off of that that's a significant part of who god is mm. <laughs> to be able to forgive <laughs> sins and we see that in the reactions of uh the jewish teachers at the, at the mm. time um yeah i, I think mm -hmm. i've Dan, would you would you add anything to that? Just on, on the sort of question of why does it matter that Jesus is God? Yeah, I mean, we it, it it's a conclusion we derive from Scripture, you know, from from reading the um, the the whole Bible and and the um, and the Gospels, and we you know we arrive at that conclusion based on how we interpret Scripture. It's not like we go into the bible looking to find jesus as god it's that we read scripture you know it's what the um you know earliest uh, readers of the uh you know people the followers of jesus uh, disciples and the church fathers understood uh, that that to be the case mm. um i don't necessarily think they were searching for jesus to to be god it's something and it is complicated that's the thing isn't it i mean it's not easy to get your head around mm. the trinity um but it's a it's a way of describing uh, and trying to understand what we read in scripture we seem to there's one god uh but uh the holy spirit is god the father is god and jesus is god and yet there's one god so how do we how do we understand that and remain faithful to, to monotheism and the answer is you know uh, a sort of trinitarian understanding of god that there is uh one being in in, in three persons and um that's difficult because we don't we don't have any experience in which to um, to understand that uh, other than God, uh, and I, and I and I think that's that's okay. Um, I think God is uh, simple in many ways, but also complex, you know. And so uh, I'm 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 actually quite quite comfortable with not being able to understand God. <laughs> the nature of God in, in, in a way like I'm not I'm not concerned that my little pea brain is uh, my little pea human brain is not able to fully comprehend uh, the metaphysical sort of nature of God and and uh, I'm kind of okay with that you know yeah. I think uh, uh, yeah that'd be my my two pence I would say yeah. I, I think I'm there as well I think 
that's partly why I brought the conversation up because it's it is playing on the fact that we don't understand the mechanics mm-hmm. rather than what does scripture reveal about who God is. Yeah. Uh, and a helpful book that um, just finished was uh, putting Jesus in his place, um, the case for the deity of Christ, and they they had a sort of helpful acronym which came along with, with hands. Uh, so Jesus shares the honor, the attributes, nature. Name, Name or na- name, name or nature. Name, yeah, name. Name. Divine deeds. acts, deeds, yeah. And deeds. seat. 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 Yeah. So and then it pulls so it pulls out these different um verses. Like obviously with, with JWs often go to John one one and mm. you, you wrestle with uh, Logos and Jesus is a God, and we'll kind of look at that, I guess, in a moment. But it was also pulling out other aspects of Acts and Revelation and all these parts of that mm. aren't usually brought up in the conversation and that was just really helpful that this is a a complete revelation of the yeah. whole of scripture not just diving into one verse of one word yeah. but actually this is the best way of handling scripture a very holistic view yeah. of what the disciples found the gospels are teaching and then uh, I mean, the, the culmination of Trinitarian theology really comes out of Revelation, and you've got the Spirit, Christ in the middle of the, the mm. churches, uh, and then on Revelation five is as Trinitarian as it as it mm. comes in the, the sense of the the throne of God with the Lamb of God oh, all yeah. sharing in in the attributes and worship mm. of, of and God. Worship. So I, that's I, that, that's a fairly yeah, I, th- I think that kind of summarizes why Jesus is important, why from scripture we get that understanding and then actually why he died, why only he could take the sin of the world is because of that revelation. There's also a, um, you know, there's threads of it as well. I think sometimes the criticism people think it's something that just magically appears in the New Testament rather than being sort of clues and threads, um, you know, throughout the Old Testament. You know, if you look in Genesis, it talks about, you know, let us make man in, in, in our image. And, um, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word they're using there is not like a numerical oneness, like a one, it's a composite oneness. When you talk about, when you have like grapes, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, you have one, uh, you know, uh, of grapes, but you have, mul- there are, there's more than one numerically. Um, and then you've got, you know, the theophanies throughout the Old Testament as well, about where God actually appears as a man, before mm-hmm. Abraham and Sarah, you've got, um, you know, in the destruction of Sodom, you've got where it says God above and God below, yeah. um, you know, so it's not, you know, it's not like, I think if you just had that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily get Trinitarian theology f- from yeah. that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think you would. But there, there are, there's a trail, a thread from the opening pages all the way throughout until it meets its sort of culmination in, in the Gospels where actually right now uh, God has actually revealed himself to us mm-hmm. uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a person in a way that we can understand. And, yeah. um, you know, it fills in some of the gaps. So it's, it has its culmination in, in Christ's revelation, self-revelation to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like out of nowhere. There is There are threads throughout Scripture. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite it's surprising how much... When you go looking for it, it's surprising how much it is in the Old Testament as well. Like you said, the um, where it uses the word one in in Genesis, it uses the same word then in in Genesis, where it talks about um, a man shall leave his his father and mother and and 
and be joined with his wife and they should become yeah. one flesh and that's like the unity of one and then you get, you know, yeah and then you get um like the angel of the lord who sometimes is an angel but sometimes is definitely god because it'll say the angel of the lord appeared and then the angel of the lord will say things that only god will say like you offered yeah. a sacrifice to me and then you have you know the captain of the lord's armies in, in joshua 5 and it's, it's just everywhere when you when you look for it and like you said you wouldn't get a full-blown theology of the the trinity in that but it, it was there all along from the very beginning mm. yeah definitely that's uh, a help, helpful sort of i guess some of the theology that we'll, we'll be discussing uh, tonight um what were the main points of contention that you you'd go to dan for for sort of topics of conversation with with jw's what would i do uh what just uh, what, like, what, what questions would you face um, or, or have you engaged with that that are tricky that we can talk to talk about tonight well i uh, well just then I, I often like to go to to john's gospel not not uh the first chapter but like to, uh, john 20 28 think yeah where um where where um you know thomas is 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 um you know mm. engaging with jesus and he and um i was asking that like um you know trying to understand like what what's going on here because i know they're they, they they do this this tricky thing where they talk about worship and they they use obeisance um mm. and, and they and they and um you know they say that you can give obeisance of honor to someone isn't this the same as as worship but that becomes quite tricky in that in that particular um, case. I remember having like a, a, a chatting to a Jehovah's Witness for quite regularly for for some months, and then he brought uh, the head of their missionary centre um, in sort of London to come and chat with me as well. The big guns, and um, and we almost had it. We, we it was horrible. It actually ended up becoming a bit of an argument. Like he actually shouted at me, I think, and left um oh, great. and uh which is not not what i always aim for but i said i said look well this is this is what it said in the greek i said if you read the greek i said you know do you have the greek i said what, what does it say and so i said it said um uh curious moi kai hothios moi which basically says the lord of me and the god of me mm. you know, so there's no other way there's no way to get around that he's saying he's speaking to you i said who who is thomas referring to in in in, in that when in that reference in this jesus okay so he's saying um he's saying you are the lord of me and you are the god of me and mm. i said there's no i i, I said look if, if we're true students of scripture i don't know how i can interpret that verse uh whether you know try and whether i've misunderstood it in the greek or if i've misunderstood it in the english to come away with a conclusion other than thomas is worshiping not not obeisance he's not giving honor uh, uh to just like a normal human he's giving him worship he's worshiping as 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 something much greater something transcendent and he's saying he's god and i and so that's all that that's something i always go back to and say look you know if i've misunderstood show me how i misunderstood the greek and and uh, that, that's no different in your bible uh, and and whether i've misunderstood it in, in in the english and that's when he started shouting and it got and then i can't remember what, what he said after that but then i yeah. just my wife was there i think he just stormed out with with and that's not my goal because that's pointless to me because yeah, once no, that, i never saw them again after that mm. but i did get i was starting to get a bit I, I was probably getting a bit annoyed because you know um i don't like it when they do it and they bring in you know the big guns oh we can't 
answer your questions and i quite liked yeah, the guy bullying, uh, and um and it was yeah trying to sort of bully me and i wasn't i wasn't going to be bullied um but i was trying to i, I remember chatting to him once where i was I, I explained the gospel he said look if that's true that's amazing that's what he literally said he said if that, i explained the gospel i said it's a gospel of grace mm. and and explained it to him and he said that is if that's true he said that's amazing that's life-changing and i said it is it exactly. is true and it is life-changing <laughs> like when you when he understood it and that's when he brought in the, the sort of the, the head sort of missionary of the, yeah. the region. And um, yeah, and it was unfortunate I never met with him again. But I, I think that going to John 2028 20, is, 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 is when well, I forget, I don't know much about engagement, but that's one thing I've always found sort of helpful to try and get them to show me where I'm wrong. Show me how I've misunderstood that verse because I don't, I've, I'm not sure how I, how I have. The danger of that is it is just one verse. Um, but um it's a it's a good one it is a really good one i mean you you can't get you can't get any any clearer than that because obviously when when jesus encountered people who were blatantly sinning and weren't repentant he rebuked them and you're talking about a, a culture and a, and a time when people would still be stoned to death for blasphemy and they want you to believe that um that Jesus wouldn't rebuke Thomas for calling him God if, if he wasn't God. It's like, well, he's either God and he's accepting worship or he's just allowed Thomas to, to blaspheme right to his face and he hasn't said anything. But what he actually said is, blessed are you because you have seen or, or blessed are you, um, blessed are those who haven't, haven't seen but have believed. But he basically said, yeah, you're right. I am God. Um, and I, you know, I've used that verse of, quite a few times and you get all sorts of reactions and, and like you said they they often get really annoyed because it's it's just one of those ones that they can't you can't possibly interpret it any other way and you can't do anything with it other than to accept what it's saying and i mean i've had some say um oh you know he's just a god which is obviously their, their favorite translation of john 1 1 some of them will say that he was so surprised that he was blaspheming some say well well he looked at jesus and said my lord and then he looked up and said my god you go well, where do you get that from the text, the text. oh well, that's just what he did because he couldn't have been calling jesus god it's presuming really, the answer before you've yeah you're not, you're not really sort of pulling out the text you're pulling out the back of your head mm. really I yeah and that is a strong text and that would be something that i, I know i've engaged with muslims over that text mm. as well and i guess that some of the responses to the trinity are, are similar um i'm going, going into john one so I, I, it's quite hard to to wrestle with because as soon as you go into the greek the a god just doesn't i know i don't know greek enough <laughs> but i know i know it enough to you should, mm. that when there's words added that's a warning sign yeah. um i yeah, how how would you persuade respond to that argument? I know I know there's an article on your your blog that looks at this, but um, what was the sort of summary response to to John one and uh, the a god? Yeah, argument? I mean, generally, I think they've they've heard that so many times. They, I think, they kind of shut down when you bring out John one one because it, it's it seems like the most obvious place to go. So most Jehovah's Witnesses who've been doing door to door for years have, have just heard it a thousand times and they'll either completely shut down or they just answer you on autopilot. Hmm. But um, they they kind of, 
they help you out here themselves actually because they've come out with a really sort of complex sounding answer where they talk about you know the article is missing and where there's no article in the greek then it means a god and not and not the god but you can sort of get them to get their get their phones out and get on there they've got the um greek and hebrew interlinear interlinear bible on their own website so you're taking them to their own resources so they you know they know you're trying to pull the bull over their eyes and then you can get them to look through john if you've you know if you've got them in and got them sat down for a cup of tea <clears throat> and um if you can point out to them what what the article is if you can show them where the article is in the greek somewhere else in in john if you show them chapter one of John, there are five instances where the Greek word for God comes up and it's it's got no um, definite, definite article in front of it. Because what they say is if there's no definite article, it's a God. And if there is a definite article, it is the God capital G. But there are five instances in just in the first chapter of John alone where it says God with no article. But that's the only time they translated in the New World Translation as a God. And every other time, because it suits their interpretation, they they put capital G God. I, I don't know if I explained that properly. I mean, my, my blog post goes on quite a bit, but but basically they mm-hmm. they've blatantly fiddled around with the grammar. And the way that they've put it on their website, they, it sounds very, very convincing, but actually that's not how that's not how the Greek works. Mm. Um but yeah, you, you find that a lot on their website is they'll they'll come out with a very complex sounding explanation or back or reason for something. And so Jones Witnesses will just accept it. I got a bit of a, yeah. bit of a There's um a, a further point to um kind of strengthen the, the John twenty twenty eight as well is is he uses the same the same Greek structure is the same mm. found in, in Psalm uh 35 25 mm. and david's referring to god as well so mm. um you know the same it's the same structure so it's like well okay so if you're going to be consistent who is what's what's david doing in psalm 35 as well who is he referring to if mm. not god yeah uh, there's of, there's often that i think there's like you said with the with the with the john um uh, john chapter one you can just point to the cases of where they're not being consistent yeah. Is you know one case right? Here's this same structure, and then nine times out of ten, you refer it to as this way. But in this mm-hmm. particular one that challenges your interpretation, you've chosen yeah. to interpret it this way. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what's happened when you don't have you know people who know Greek and Hebrew doing your mm-hmm. translation. So yeah. So I guess for my understanding, that's kind of where it comes in as a as a cult is instead of engaging with that honestly and openly it's shut the conversation down get someone the big guns in take the the young ones away from this heretic um and, and f- for me that was always something that um, my parents always said if you if you can't ask questions in any church that you go into get out <laughs> yeah. um and and if it's one thing to say i don't know uh let's look at it and figure it out it's quite another to say now this is the answer it's the only answer Mm. and if you disobey that off you go um yeah yeah and they they will will disfellowship them they will kick them out of the society and i mean 
you know, disfellowshipping in itself is is horrendous. They're not just kicking them out of the society. You could have like a third, fourth, fifth generation Jehovah's Witness. All their friends, all their family are witnesses. And when they kick them out, nobody's allowed to talk to them for fear of getting kicked out themselves. And they they all honestly believe that their eternal salvation hinges on being part of the society. So you think, well, I'm not sure I agree. You know, for example, they might say, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with um, their interpretation of John 1, 1. And I'd like to ask somebody about it, but I don't dare because they might kick me out. I'll lose my salvation. I'll lose my friends. I'll lose my family, potentially lose my job if I've got a Jehovah's Witness as a boss. And they, you know, they could potentially be homeless and friendless just because they've had the audacity to ask a, an honest question, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, heavy. it's a heartbreaking kind of situation that you find them in, really. Yeah. I and, mean, uh... I have to say, I've never really gone beyond the interactions on a, on the doorstep, and maybe on on had them in for a cup of tea, um, drink. <laughs> they don't have caffeine, do they? Um, no, it's Mormons. Yeah. All right. Okay. They are in our coffee. I, I couldn't remember which one. No, no magic pants either. The what one? No magic pants. No magic pants. Yeah. I knew that one. Yeah. Um, and it's not on gold tablets either, was it? It's no, just, not on uh, gold tablets. <laughs> In reformed Egyptian. <laughs> Going into Mormonism now. Um, so, so I just to go into that a little bit more with regards to the Holy Spirit. Then it, what? Because Jehovah's Witness just think it's a force. Or mm. he's a it's not a he it's an it it's and it's a force. It's force i i don't know i don't exactly get how they how they'll, they'll just accept that so easily they they think there's god and they think there's some sort of force that god has got that floats around independently of him so even though he's you know omnipresent and omni omnipotent he's also got this force that's a separate part of him but is still just him so they don't believe that holy spirit is is a separate person they don't believe that he has a personality or that he's god or anything like that he's just that's definitely not yeah. as weird or complicated as the trinity <laughs> no, no. no it's not but then it's pretty clearly evidenced that the holy spirit is a person and not just sort of some disembodied force thing that's floating around out there where would we go to point to the, the Holy Spirit being a, a person and uh, a he? Oh, gosh. Book of Acts, mainly. I mean, there, there are so many, um, you know, in Acts, Acts 13, I think it is, you've got the account of where the, um, the disciples are all praying. They're fasting and praying. And... It says in there, while they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said to them, yeah. separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the, for the work that I've prepared for them. So they believe that any sort of reference to the Holy Spirit, any person, um, any personal characteristics of the Holy Spirit, they'll say, oh, it's just uh, it's just personification. It's just metaphor. It's, it's not really, you know, it looks like it might be a person, but it's not really a person. But then while the disciples were praying the holy spirit spoke to them and gave them an instruction which they followed and it's an instruction that showed that he has a mind because he's planned to work for them it's a, it's an instruction that shows he has intention and they responded to it by obeying the command they were given so 
he spoke and he's got a mind and he's got a plan and they responded as they would if a person was standing in front of them giving a command so you you can't possibly interpret that in any other way than he is he is a personal he's a personality of some sort well i think there, there are a few others as well that, that's kind of my my initial go-to and obviously you got yeah. Acts 5, you know where, where peter says um why have you chosen to to lie to the holy spirit you've not lied to men but to god hmm. so if you can lie to him he's a person and peter just called him god so again he's that's, that's helpful because it is it's good that you are having that off the cuff was quite quite impressive that um <laughs> it's it... only because I'm doing a video about it at the moment. Or I just did a video about it, I think. Okay. Oh, that's good. Um Dan, any other questions? What for the whole evening? Or or just no, no, yeah, <laughs> what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, um yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean they, they do make lots of claims about um you know, regarding Jesus uh, uh, deity and things like that. I mean, what would you say are some of the? I mean, because I've I've heard um, you know, numerous things they've kind of brought up. It's like, well, here are two. See how you deal with these. Okay, so one would be um, if Jesus is God, um, then how could God um, uh, raise Jesus from the dead? From from the dead. Mm. That's just like how can a dead person raise themselves from the dead? uh and um if if jesus is god how can he pray to himself <laughs> yeah so there, there'll be two ones that i've heard uh um, i think i think that's two of their favorite that's two hmm. of their, their favorite go-tos but i mean um you know jesus said he's going to raise himself so i don't know how exactly how he did it but either jesus raised himself or he's a liar you know he said destroy this temple and i will raise it up in three days and then you know, John explains then we thought we, we realized later that he was talking about his own body. So however Jesus did it, he did it. And of course, you're talking about the physical body. You're talking about Jesus, the man. But if he is man and God, then God doesn't die. It's just Jesus, the man died and God still exists. So however he did it, you know, he did it because he's God for, for fear of. I don't, I don't want to sort of almost fall into the God of the gaps kind of thing, but I don't know. He did it, but he's God. So either he's a liar or he did it. I guess as it's far as Jesus talking to himself thing, that's just, um, you know, that's um, the words escape me now. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here and be confused for a minute while I try and think of the word modalism. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they think that we're modalists. They think that, most Jehovah's Witnesses think that we, we're basically modalists, whereby obviously we think that Jesus is, is sometimes God is Jesus, sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. When obviously we don't think that, we think that they're three separate persons. So the Son was talking to the Father. It's not Jesus talking to himself. It's one person talking to another person within the triune Godhead. Yeah, so I, I think that's, <coughs> excuse me, I think that's right. They, um, you know, they pursue, they they presume uh, their un, their, un, their understanding of the sort of ontological nature of God, mm. and then use that to interpret yeah. what the scriptures are saying. It's like, well, mm. how can Jesus, if Jesus can't be God, because there's only one God, so how can how can 
the one god be praying to another god and mm. that would mean there are two gods mm. uh so it, you know it's inconsistent it's consistent with their own understanding but it's yeah. it's a it's it's eisegesis it's reading into scripture yes. with your assumptions rather Absolutely. than reading out which is what we would say is is how we arrived at the conclusion that uh, of trinitarian theology it's yeah. not um you know there are there are you know it's not um perfectly worked out i think you know i, I i'm much more cautious about what we can say about the trinity yeah. uh I, I think some people you know I, I don't know how you write a whole book about the trinity because for, mm. for me it is it's something i you know that, that's clearly in scripture we talked about those threads mm. throughout scripture from the beginning but um i think there's a lot of conjecture uh whereas i think i'm much more comfortable saying look there is one god uh and but there's jesus is god the holy spirit is god and the father is god but there's one god and and mm. if we call that trinitarian uh then then we, then we can but i think there's often a lot of conjecture where we can tie ourselves in knots you know mm. uh, it's like you know uh h2o in three different forms uh no, no, actually, i think that's modalism but, that's modalism uh, yeah. that's modalism you find that most of these things mm -hmm. but um but but yeah i think you know what we would say is we we, we get our understanding of the nature of god from reading scripture and, and and drawing those conclusions out of it rather than reading trinitarian theology mm. into it yeah again yeah, I mean, we, we just eventually arrive at the at the conclusion of trinitarianism just because that's what the bible shows us and if you if you take the whole of scripture rather than just pluck out individual verses or difficult um difficult aspects of it then as much as we can't understand it that's just what the bible says so we got to reach a point where we just go i don't get it i'm, I'm human Hopefully you have to remember Craig, as him. well that uh that the tr trinity is not in the bible hmm. but then neither is jehovah's witness no jehovah's the, witness or, in the bible or, you know they, a lot of their writings they a lot of their writings they talk about god's theocratic kingdom that's one of their favorite phrases hmm. we'll show me that in the bible you know I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that to them because I, I wouldn't want to sort of come across as confrontational, as confrontational or anything. Because um, what I have found, and I mean, I, I've been trying to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses quite a lot, not so much obviously over the last twelve months, but um, I've spoken to a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses, and one thing I found is they'll they'll shut down on you very quickly, and you can't sort of go. I I used to be dreadful thinking. Right, if I just hammer them with enough verses, if I just throw loads of verses at them, they've got to see, you know, they've got to see my point of view. They've got to accept the Trinity. They've got to accept this. They've got to accept salvation by faith alone. And they'll just shut down on you because either they feel attacked or they just feel that, you know, you've been misled and you, you've got to be very, um, you know, the, the apologist's favorite verse, you've got to treat them with gentleness and respect. Hi there, this is Phil Dunkarf. Thank you so much for listening to the Critical Witness podcast. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe, share the episode and write a review. It will help others find us. And if you really like what you hear and want us to grow, please do consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash critical witness. Enjoy the rest of the show. No, you're right. I mean, no one ever changes their mind. Like when someone's a bit of a dick to you, mm. even if what they're saying is true, 
it's yeah. very hard psychologically to because you're you, you've got your defenses up like you're not going to admit defeat to someone who's being a dick so yeah. that's that so like uh I, yeah that's why I like something like um I can't remember now was it Pascal you know where um where he talked about you know make people um make people want something to be true and then show them that it is and I think mm. that's so important when speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses and that's the perfect example is when you know sharing the gospel of grace and he's saying look that's if that's true that's amazing like that that's great and I was like no it is that's that's yes. that's, that's why that's what I'm trying to show yeah. you um and you know rather than being being confrontational mm. and, and and aggressive even if you're right is not going to put someone in a, in a position where they're going to be open and willing to uh, mm. to reconsider their own uh, their, their own views uh, but it's so hard because i think the temptation is always there with jehovah's witnesses mm. because um you know it's it, it, we it, it, they're saying things that are untrue mm. about god uh yeah. and claiming to represent us and yeah. i think that that's that's always difficult and i think a lot of christians especially those you know read up on apologetics and things and and, and want to engage with jehovah's witnesses you know it's it can be hard to avoid that temptation yeah. to sort of um you know see everything as a as, as a nail with a with a with a you know you've got a hammer <laughs> it's probably yeah. not 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 a helpful approach yeah, I mean, I remember years ago, I was talking to who um, Jehovah's Witnesses in the town where I lived, where I live even. And um, I'd been talking to them for a while and, the, you know, the conversation was going quite well. And, and what what I always try and do now is just sort of talk to them, be respectful, bring up a few subjects, you know, just help them to realise that I'm not there to attack them, but I just want to talk about the Bible and talk about God with them. And then hopefully at the end, I just go, look, I, you know, it's been great talking to you. Here, here's my email address if you'd like to keep in touch. But this conversation was going quite well. And then a, a guy that I, I kind of know, he'd been to our church a few times. He walked up the street and saw me talking to them. And he saw me talking to two people with, you know, the carts that they have. So he thought, I'll, I'll go join in there. So he came along and, and he basically, one of the first things he said to them, they said something. He said, well, you know, you would believe that because you're a cult, aren't you? Ugh. That was it, and they just closed down on straight away. And I just thought that that's not really <laughs> going to open a lot of doors in the conversation, you know. Which, and I, I don't like using that that word. Um, I don't like referring to them as a cult, just because the more times you use a word like that, the more you kind of have like a preconception of them before you go and talk to them, and you kind of you paint this picture of them for yourself and obviously you're not going to use it to their face unless you're particularly tactless like that guy yeah but um i think you can you can approach them then in the wrong way without meaning to do you know what i mean i, I don't i don't like using terminology like that that's going to sort of instantly put put me off them before i start talking to them because they they're deceived and something i found i don't know if they just choose all the really nice ones to knock on doors and stand on carts and things but I found that generally they're some of the nicest people I, I've ever spoken to. Hmm. Unless they really feel backed into a corner, they're pleasant and they're friendly and they, you know, they're open and they want to talk. And you know, we, we befriended a, a Jehovah's Witness couple, and they, you know, they used to come around and visit, and they'd always bring bring flowers for my wife. And every now and then, they just send us a card to say they were thinking of us, and and they're just such lovely people, you know. And um, 
I don't know. Who do you think are nicer, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses? I, I, I always think I always think Mormons are the nicest. I have I've never spoken. I've never spoken to a Mormon. You don't know Mormons in in the I, town where I live. I think you'll need to reassess your claim about JWs being the nicest people you've met once you've met the Mormons. I, I, I think they're they're right up there for me. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. 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 Solve it by a fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a question, question in your interactions um do you feel there's been more or less or the same sort of openness to the gospel than previous years um i mean the the time that i've been, you know obviously they've they've been around for about 100 and 120 years 130 years now in various forms but for the time that i've been interacting with them there there hasn't been any noticeable change and i yeah. i think if anything because there's so much information out there now, because we've got the internet, because we've got such um, wide sharing of information, they're probably even more on guard now than they, they would have been, say, 50 years ago. So I would I would imagine that they're probably harder to reach now because there's so much information out there. They, you know, circling the wagons and, and drawing themselves in. I, I don't know yeah. for definite, but yeah, I would imagine they're harder now. And as I said before, there is that sort of protection for for those who are uh, less experienced in their missionary endeavours mm. to, to be pulled out of a situation rather than to be allowed to leave. Mm. Um, so that, I mean, that's interesting. All right? Yeah, it, it is interesting on that on that whole idea of interacting with other religions and other other cults. It's like we we have to. And I've seen it on our apologetics and evangelism group uh, on Facebook. Um, just the, I have to demolish their ideas. And I mean, it's mm. quoting Paul, demolish the ideas and powers before I can bring the gospel. Mm. And uh, by that, they mean not be at all respectful and <laughs> just sort of tread, <laughs> tread on these ideas. Yeah. Um, and that goes for calling someone, telling them plainly that they're in a cult, or it means telling them, uh, a Muslim, that Muhammad's not a prophet and being disrespectful to Muhammad. And mm. uh, there's, there's that kind of part of Christian mission that is awful. <laughs> it's just yeah. a really yeah. bad strategy it's not mm. Paul's strategy that i can mm. tell i don't think that's what he meant by demolishing the ideas and strongholds um but it, it does seem to be a trend and I, I think getting surely if you you have the heart and mind of christ then you mm. see people who are in these places and you you want to you want to serve them you want to help them you want to yeah. show them l love rather than mm. uh just stamping on everything they hold dear and mm. why would they listen to you for for what you hold dear when you've just demolished theirs yeah. <laughs> that was special to them yeah it seems bizarre it's true um i i was like the um use example of someone uh, you heard a guy called daryl davis he's a um american man uh, african-american and he uh he basically befriends kkk members and and uh, just for getting to know them and and loving them and uh, and wanting wanting the best for them and um, you know and he collects their robes and he's had you know numerous people and it's not like his intention is to convert them he just befriends them and uh, he's not he goes in there he goes 
you are racist, you're a white supremacist, and I'm black. Why do you hate you? You hate me, you know. And he's talking about will white supremacists, not everyone being a white supremacist, not like yet. that happens today. <laughs> uh, um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely, and, that, and that's how the interaction. You know, if he went in there all guns blazing, saying you're all racist, I mean, how many? Uh, I don't think he'd have any or, or many, um, you know, um, uh, KKK. Uh, you know memorabilia in his uh, in, in in his house, mm. uh, but I think is like numerous, like mm. you know several several dozen. Um, so I saw that. That was I think that was that a BBC article that was. Sure. That? He, he was he was interviewed a while. I first came aware he was interviewed on the Joe Rogan show uh, uh, maybe a year or two ago, mm. and um, I read a few things about him. He's a really, really interesting guy. Uh, I think he might. Even, I think he's a Christian. I'm not sure. It's not explicit. But he, 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 he certainly his approach is to not to go there and mm. destroy their assumptions and arguments about black people. Mm. It's to love them and show, look, I'm, I'm like you. I, you know, I have, you know, uh, I love things and, 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 uh, you know, taking it. I love music. He's a fantastic musician as well. I think, um, I mm. think how his first conversation he had with someone in a bar was, I think they were talking about, um, the music that he was listening to and actually he was saying actually well actually that that music derived from uh african-american music you know blues and things like that and he's like no it's not and he and he sort of educated him on, on that and that was kind of the initial thing that, that, that started them off um so yeah i i never think we can underestimate the importance of just treating someone like our equal that we that, mm. that um you know, treating someone how like you want to be treated um, and that, that's also biblical, uh, you know, along is destroying arguments. But I think if you, there, uh, there's a temp, there's a, I think some men especially uh, are much more likely to have this characteristic of this sort of, um, this battle mindset to to attack, 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 attack and destroy things rather than, uh, which comes much more natural to our, our, our sinful human nature uh, uh, because we're flawed rather than actually the, we're, we're being, you know, the redeemed part of us, which is trying to, like, you know, uh, uh, engage with people with, with different motivations rather than the ones that come most natural to us. And unfortunately, I think we see that a lot in apologetics and engagement with other people who differ from us. Um, not to call it a sinful approach, but it is a little bit. I, I think I think it does come down to that. <laughs> and there's a reason that I think Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are nice is they've understood the persuasion of the, mm. the the power of persuasion comes from being a decent human being um and all of that has a little bit of manipulation within it <laughs> at, at times but I, I think there's there's got to be a place for that respect and we value humans because mm. they're made in the image of god no matter what they believe or don't believe mm. and we've got to recognize that we all have our darlings. I mean, just just even a little bit of emotional intelligence in how I react if I if, if I see someone telling me that I'm going to hell or I. I oh, Dan, you, you, believe, you believe in a sky fairy. You believe in a sky fairy. Yeah, sky daddy. And, uh, sky fairy. And an old man in the to... sky. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You're breaking yeah, all, all of that. Well. Hmm. I, I, I shut down and generally become quite unpleasant to be around <laughs> if, if, if someone's like that and, and and that mockery there are times when polemics does come come in and can be kind of useful but it's very rare on a one-to-one -one basis um it, an engagement on the street at least that's, i think 
I mean, there is a place for the kind of the the more forceful argument and and pushing the barriers a bit. But generally speaking, you have to have a relationship with the person first Mm -hmm. and you have to sort of build like a, a foundation, like a foundational relationship. And you've got to know each other a bit and then you can be a bit more secure to kind of push a bit harder and, and maybe, you know, let, maybe even let your tempers get a bit frayed or something, but you wouldn't just go up to somebody in the street and start shouting at them and then think that they're going to go away thinking, well, they made some really good points. I really like them. And maybe I'll get in, get in touch and continue this conversation because they're just going to go, what a moron, mm-hmm. which, yeah. which then confirms everything that I think a lot of Jehovah's witnesses are told about how we're all awful people. And, you know, they, they have this, um, like on their website where they've got this thing about comparative religions and they've got, they've got one section where it's, they, they call, they say, um, Christendom, we fall under Christendom. So they call themselves Christians, but then they say the religion of Christendom is all full of hypocrisy and it's full of, you know, um, liars and, and all this, and they go on about the crusades and all that sort of thing. But as far as they're concerned, we're all pretty rotten people and they're doing us a favor by knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. And if you get the thing then with, where, and it's kind of one of my pet hates where you get somebody in church saying, oh, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door and I sent them pack and they won't come back to me. You think, mm-hmm. what, what did you do that for? This is the easiest evangelism in the world. Mm, this, is like, this is handed to you on a plate. You've got people knocking on your door. You might still be standing there in your pajamas with a cup in your hand. So you're comfortable. You're on your own territory and people are knocking on your door and wanting to talk about God. Why do you want to send them packing? You know, these mm. are people who are being lied to. These are these are fellow, they're made in the image of God. They're precious souls who've unfortunately been deceived and they want to talk about God and you, you're proud that you sent them away with their tail between their legs. It's like, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. sorry. But, but you've won the argument. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah, good one. But that's what people but, always appeal to is, you know, oh, well, Jesus turned the tables upside down. And uh, you know, and he and he and he, he told the you know the Pharisees their whitewashed tombs and things like that. You know, so yeah, this is you know, so you know, I'm just doing what Jesus did. You know, yeah. okay, well, Jesus, Jesus treated Jesus treated different people differently. Uh, yeah. So he also, you know, spoke to the woman at the well, mm. and and. Uh, uh, you know, in numerous other instances uh, where yeah. he wasn't smashing tables up and uh, mm. telling and telling people they're snakes and vipers. Yeah. Um, so he, in, he, in that turning of the tables, what was he? What was he angry at? It wasn't at people's sin, or well, there was a moral aspect, but it wasn't the moral mm. aspect was the fact that they were denying access to to God yeah. <laughs> to the temple. Yeah. They, were, they making were making money off a house of prayer, a, a den of thieves, mm. and it's not so i know jehovah's witness knocking on your door isn't denying you access to god <laughs> he's actually <laughs> saying Let, let's talk about god uh, so yeah. the, the uh, it's just frustrating <laughs> that kind of well, they, well I'll tell you what, if they if they come into your house and turned your tables over they'd be doing just what jesus did so it's okay it's all right don't worry about it yeah but that's, that's what that's what, what I mean we, about people gone. Sorry, Phil. Oh, it's what happens when we do uh, do things with out of context verses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can do all things through an out of context. Out of context verse. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I guess on this point then, so we, we're trying to find maybe a common ground it, rather than, and, and that's, I think what we've talked about before on our conversation with um, Rebecca Davis uh, and her book, um, Bridges of Loving, Love and Understanding. And there's, we're talking about listening well, and um, I guess just finding that common bridge. There's there's things we can do with with Muslims where it's talking about just even seeking God. How do we do that? And that's a point of conversation. Or sharing a love for Jesus. Well, what do you mean by who do you mean by Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You can kind of go into this common ground. Where is our common ground with JWs? We know that they have a different view of Jesus, but hmm. I mean, do they love him? Do they f- try and follow him? The, wh- where is it the, the common ground we can kind of start? They, um, I mean, the, it's, it's kind of difficult because they differ with us on so many, what you call the, the most, the real fundamental things. Hmm. Um, I mean, they, they desire to serve God is what brings them to your door, but then there's also a fear element as well because they they kind of feel they have to earn the points with God. I think that the common... Sounds like a lot of Protestants, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think the common ground, really, I mean, you, your best bet is just to talk to them like, like they're people to start off with. You know, they're, they're knocking on your door, or better still, you go up to them on the car. How, how long have you been a witness? I, and you say, well, I, I go to a church. You know, you say, I'm, I'm a Christian, and they call themselves Christians as well. Um, you can talk about the Bible, but it's sort of in a non-confrontational way, mm. you know, and you can say, ask them questions that you already know the answer to, but then don't challenge them on it. So what, what do you believe about Jesus? And they'll say, well, we believe he's the Archangel Michael. You go, oh, right, that's interesting. Well, that's not exactly what we believe. So what do you believe happens after you die? Um, what translation of the Bible do you use? And they'll say, well, they've got their own, but they, they also accept the, the King James as well. Um mm. But obviously, they don't accept the King James when it doesn't say what they like. No. But I, I think the, the best way to build a conversation with them is is to not get into a fight with them straight away, you know. And then when you've been talking to them for a while, just ask them open-ended questions because you, your best bet isn't to try and explain the Bible to them because they understand the, their own doctrine very, very well. I mean, they go... I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with with how they do their meetings and things, but Jehovah's Witnesses will go to work, uh, work, go to church or go to Kingdom Hall twice a week, and on Sunday is like their kind of kind of their normal service. Wednesdays are like Bible study and how to have these conversations and kind of their own version of apologetics and evangelism training. And they do this every week. So you might be dealing with somebody that's been doing this every every Wednesday for 20 years. Mm. And they've got a lot of material. So if you try and pick a fight with them straight away, I mean, they'll make your head spin. Mm-hmm. Because I, almost every conversation I've had with one of them, they've come out with something that I've never heard before from a Jehovah's Witness. And I've got to go away and look it up. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think at first just try and get them to explain to you what they believe. Because you probably know what they believe. But if they talk to you about it, you're letting them know that you're interested in what they've got to say. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the confrontation from Christians, you know, you got the example, you gave the example of, you know, uh, someone at church saying, oh, we had a JW come to the door and, um, you know, you sent them packing, you know, telling them they're in a cult. And I think a lot of that confrontation is actually rooted in their own insecurity. 
of mm. like knowledge of scripture and things like that because it is quite daunting even you know i i, I get quite daunting you know and i've you know come around as like um because you realize they really really know how to to handle scripture but they mm. you know in, in in a way i mean they 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 understand many of the scriptures and also miss a, you know misunderstand many as well but they know their way around the bible and i think a lot of a lot of christians um are you know are challenged by that because they've never really thought about these things you know they've never really thought about you know what is what what is jesus really saying in that uh, you know or you know um you know when jesus is praying to the father and things like that you know and someone say, well, how, if he's god why is, how can he pray to god mm. you know i don't think that a lot of christians might not have even thought about that mm. and that's quite challenging so i think a lot of it is rooted in that um uh, can be rooted in some of that that insecurity i think yeah um it, it was interesting you said about the king james bible they accept that i didn't know that um so what do they then what, what do they do then when you raise uh you know the marginal note that's included in first john where it talks about um you know there's one you know i can't remember the name of it now i rent the king james for years um but there's a, a marginal note that explicitly you know describes the trinity in oh one john five seventeen that's the one yeah that one yeah yeah um i'm not really sure I've, I've never brought that up with them but i mean they would say and and quite rightly they'd say well that that's not supposed to be there anyway i mean they probably know that one that i would imagine that would be one of the ones that they they've sort of discussed at length and have 20 articles about it on their website or something and right. they would i i would imagine that they would say yeah we'll accept the king james but you have to understand that it's made mistakes and right. their, their version of mistakes would be anywhere it disagrees with the new world translation. So John one, one, but then, you know, any other, any other verse that you can think to that points to the deity of Jesus, although a, a couple of them have snuck, snuck through in their translation. Sorry, distracted by a comment. <laughs> No, it's it's true. I feel I feel great to not be working in intensive care anymore, so I can have a beard again. It's uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I felt like a like a like a teenager all over again. You can't you can't imagine, Callum, how great I feel having a beard back. It's, it's going to be really <laughs> odd on the podcast of they, this, uh, just just to explain a comment from yeah. Callum says Dan looks five years older with the facial hair. <laughs> Where's boy band Dan gone? <laughs> well, there you go. He's uh, no longer saving the world in intensive care yeah no offense craig but they they do say that what do you call a man without a beard a woman <laughs> Oof. Oof. you're gonna get us cancelled especially to come on the show and this is what i get <laughs> this is you attacked yeah oh, that's yeah. A, that would, that i'm not saying I, i'm not saying i believe that i'm just saying that that's what just they say i've heard that, that, that someone says that they don't know who they are um, <laughs> so back back to jw's <laughs> <laughs> back to jw's so uh, there's a lot of stuff in there i think that's really important that we, it's back back to it seems to me the, the more i talk about uh, or look into evangelism and, and the more I work in, in that role to interact with people of other faiths, even other cultures, and even, even some of the stuff around uh, race and gender and getting to know people where there are significant conflicts of ideas. It just seems so simple to just 
first off, be nice. <laughs> Second off, listen. Mm. Don't assume. And and then I that that seems to be the most loving thing to do most mm. of the time. And then if you think you've got an answer or have a moment to share your faith, well, start with focusing on Jesus before mm. you start focusing on where everything else they're getting wrong in their life is. Mm. Uh, it just seems to me that, and, and also, don't think they're going to convert the first time you meet. Yeah, um, I, mm. I think that's been been one aspect of uh, evangelism, at least in in more reformed traditions. I've got to get this person to this point as quickly as possible so they can make a decision mm. and then they're saved. I've done my job and yeah. we can kind of leave them to it. <laughs> and, and they said a prayer. I'll chalk that one up. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've said a prayer tick converted. <laughs> and, and then it, it, I guess some people are afraid of that commitment of this could take a long time yeah. to befriend someone. Yeah. Uh, and that is the commitment of discipleship. That, that, that's where it, starts and i'm not saying i've got it right but that seems to be something that needs to shift in our mentality across mm. um our traditional church spaces um yeah my, my two pens on that one that's <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, true it, it, it's uh, i said there's a rule i live by that's not biblical and uses um, i have to use a naughty word again but just don't be a dick it's very simple very yeah, simple very very simple it's like New Testament, yeah, it, yeah i feel like i'm sort of paraphrasing you know Immanuel kant's categorical categorical imperative there but it's sort I'm of just you know, that, yeah. yeah yeah just don't don't be a dick it's really it's really <laughs> easy maybe like a second one would be like don't be like don't be too weird like yeah <laughs> i don't know just, about that uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I can. I, I can't even satisfy that second one. I think I, I can do the first one sometimes, or the second one might be beyond me. But uh, if you're going to be think, weird, just accept it. You'll acknowledge get it. Yeah. it. Uh, I think. I think just just being a bit authentic. Yeah, we're, we're weird. I mean, we we do believe someone has risen from the dead, and that's mm. that is fairly weird in a society that is very naturalistic. Um, I believe it's true. That's that's kind of weird. Let's let's talk about it um yeah that would be my my kind of i just accept that i'm weird and um, we kind of move on from there strangers and aliens isn't it <laughs> yeah the bible talks about aliens quite a lot that's another yeah. that's another debate <laughs> another conversation um <laughs> those of you who are alive we we've sort of um the quality of our conversations probably i don't know uh you can tell us whether it's gone downhill <laughs> or if there's some pithy things that you're taking away let us know what you're uh, how you're interacting with our conversation other than dan's growth hair growth on his face are there other questions um around uh i don't want to come through what do you think of pascal's quip that you should persuade people to want christianity to be true before you persuade them it's true be, so we, we, we did talk it. about that earlier kind of must have switched channels for a moment there um but yeah i i think that i think that's a, an agreement i think I think we said pretty much that, that it mm. be nice showed that it is a good thing. Um, and I think we've summarized that quite, quite nicely and succinctly in Dan's paraphrase. Uh, you don't have to repeat it. I don't <laughs> have to bleep it for the podcast. This is, this is good. How much have I got to edit? <laughs> <laughs> Dan's, Dan's yeah. being naughty. Um, Sorry. 
so we, we, most of your focus is is JWs on your blog, Craig. Is that partly just what's what's taking you there to to JWs? Is it just because you you've had a few interactions um, in the past, or yeah? I mean, mostly it was um, <clears throat> sort of the when they start knocking on your door, you know, and you have the conversation and then go away and think, well, I'm, I'm going to read up a bit about what they said. I'm going to read up a bit, a bit about what they believe so that, you know, hopefully the next conversation will go better. And then as I was, as I was digging into it a bit more, I was reading about, you know, the kind of things they believe and the, the sort of control that the organization has got over them and the, the constant insecurity that they're living under. And then I read, um, I think I might have mentioned it when when we talked before. There was a book. There's a book called The Crisis of Conscience by Raymond Franz, and he was a, a former member of the Jehovah's Witness. He was a member of the governing body. He was really senior, and um, he wrote this big long book about sort of his life as a Jehovah's Witness and the way that his whole life was tied up in it. And then they they basically just turned around and stabbed him in the back. The, he sort of had the audacity to question, and then he got kicked out. And he lost all his friends. And then some other people that he knew were kicked out as well. And and then I read about the what they call the Memorial Supper, which is the only kind of festival type thing that they have. So um, on the Passover, they, they all gather in kingdom halls around the world. And you're talking about like 20 million people gathering around the world. And they bring out the, the bread and the wine. And they pass it around and it's like communion. They pass the bread and the wine around, but nobody takes it. Hmm. And the only people that take it are, if somebody, what they say is the only people that are, that are allowed to take what they call the emblems are the members of the 144,000 anointed class. So the only people that they believe that all the blessings of God for all the promises in the new Testament and all this kind of thing, the people that are going to go to heaven, the people that are going to be with God, the special people, only they are qualified to take the take the bread and the wine. Only they are part of the, the new covenant. And everybody else, it it just kind of, I don't know what it was. It really sort of tugged at my heartstrings thinking they're passing the bread and the wine around. And to them, it symbolizes some sort of wonderful blessing, all the blessings of God and all the things that the New Testament promises and the Old Testament. And yet they're not allowed to take it. And they're not allowed to take part in it. And, and it's almost like it's sort of being waved in their face, like, look, you're, you've come here and, you know, you're being a good little Jehovah's Witness and, you, and you, you're sitting there and you're taking part in your Bible studies, but you're not you're not really good enough. Quite there. You're not really, God doesn't love you the way that he loves the anointed ones. And and I was, you know, a couple of other things, and you read about people being disfellowshipped. And the more I read about them, rather than just sort of their beliefs and ways to interact with them, the more I, I kind of really felt for them hmm. and then do they have people sorry come on no no i was just going to say just referring to what you're saying about 104 do they have like an ongoing list you know of people because it's obviously like 120 years like it seems quite presumptuous doesn't it to say it I'm a, yeah well they i'm, I'm one of the 44,000. So, but have they kept a list you know because 120 years or whatever it is hmm. perhaps there's already been 144,000 presumptuous people already and well, what they, um, the way that they do it is is kind of weird because what they said they they believed that Armageddon was coming in 1914. Massively wrong. The, the 144,000. Sorry. 
I got, that was a massive error. <laughs> oh, slightly. Slightly. They did um, get the start of the First World War, right? Though. Was... Yeah, but then they kind of changed their mind and said, oh, no, it wasn't Armageddon. It's just Christ returned, but he returned invisibly. And that's how they kind of got around that one. Oh, that wow. Whole thing. But what they said is, right, so to be a member of the 144,000, you have to be of an age of understanding by the time this 1914 prophecy comes around. So I think they set it at like 10 years old. And then what they do is they sort of keep an eye out when they have this um, memorial supper on the, at the Feast of Passover, well, you know, the night of Passover. When the bread and the wine is going around, you'll have sort of the elders of the congregation will be walking up and down the roads, watching the bread and the wine being passed around. Now, if you're a visitor, if they don't know you or if you're, you know, just a new witness or something and you take the bread and wine, they don't take any notice. But if you've been there for 30, 40, 50 years, if you're a member of the leadership, if you're what they call a pioneer, which is like somebody who does, I think, something like 40 hours of door-to-door -door work every week. If you're sort of a high, um, highly committed, long-standing member and you suddenly start taking the emblems, they make a note of it and they count. So they keep a count of the number of people every year that will take the emblems and then they say, right, these are the 144, these are the remnant of the 144,000. But they stopped publishing. They used to publish the numbers of people that would take it every year. They used to publish like the figures of the people that had taken um, part in the ceremony and the number of people that had taken the bread and wine. But they stopped doing it, I think, in, I think it was something like 2008. Hmm. So they might be keeping an eye on it now, but they don't want anybody else to know what they're doing. Right. So, yeah, like, I don't think they've literally got like a list of names, but they were keeping count of the number of people who they thought might be the hundred members of the 144,000. But like you said, they've right. been around, you know, this well over 100 years ago now. They'd all be dead. So it's true. <laughs> Where, so where's where's Invisible Jesus now? Well, they say that. Um, It's, it's all kind of tied up with their really weird calculation of where 1914 came from. But they said that basically Jehovah's throne was unoccupied from the time of the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. Well, let me just say something quick. So the, it is quite funny. Like, so you've got the group saying that the Trinity is too complicated to understand, right? But Invisible Jesus came back in 1914. Invisible Jesus came back. Invisible Jesus, yeah. And then he reclaimed the throne of Jehovah that was empty since... They say 670. Where did Jehovah go? Don't know. Never got a chance to ask them. All right. That's what yeah. I mean, because I can't, uh, like, you have to you have to have the, the awareness of how odd your own beliefs are. You know, there are things that, that as Christians, we believe that are <laughs> odd. Very uh, odd. You know, and, and but it is, it, is, it is somewhat ironic when you have a group saying that, you know, that because something's, you know, too complicated you know it's it's uh, you know it uh, doesn't make sense mm. then also having beliefs that we don't hold that are mm. i would say equally strange as in mm. well jesus coming back in 1914 to take over the throne yeah. from uh, which is weird why is a an angel archangel michael taking over jehovah's throne don't know maybe jehovah's busy that's why, something... why is the angel just suddenly named Jesus? <laughs> something confusing. Yeah. Was, well, they, they say that he was the Archangel Michael and then he stopped existing as the Archangel Michael and he became the man Jesus. And then the man Jesus died and then the Archangel Michael 
was recreated and then when when jesus apparently was resurrected they say he wasn't the man jesus he was a spirit body so they say he wasn't physical but all that time it was the archangel michael so it's it was michael was the first thing created and then he stopped being the archangel michael and he became the man jesus and then the man jesus died and then the archangel michael came <laughs> and then the Jehovah that had been unoccupied since 607 bc I'm going to go out on the limb and say this is more complex than the Trinity. It's fairly you should you should see how they calculate the 1914 prophecy. It's it, it'll give you a nosebleed. It's so <laughs> bizarre. It's like they take something from Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, where the tree was chopped down, and then they say there's something in Ezekiel that means that trees represent leadership, and then they say, then they go back to Daniel 4, where it says that um something about seven times passing over Nebuchadnezzar. And then they go to two different verses in Revelation. And then from that, they calculate 2,520. And then they go from 607 BC and add 2,520 onto it. And that's where they get to the 1914 yeah. date. But they didn't um, realize in the late 80s that that should have actually been 1913. They miscalculated it. Nobody told us. See, that's what I'm saying. I, I want to be careful not to say like, I'm not like mocking them as in uh, what, I, what I'm finding ironic is that, as I said, there's a group that what they're saying could be true. Maybe Jesus, invisible Jesus did appear back in 1914. But what um, is it's just I just find it ironic. You got, as I said, you've got a group saying mm. the, the Trinity isn't true because, you know, it's too complicated. I don't understand it. And then you have yeah. the same group holding, as I, I, I you know, I, I would say equally, uh, I would say there's a good case of it being equally as odd or oh, more so yes. uh, and, and so so it's just it's just ironic that mm. um that they would discard the trinity on the basis in which they clearly yeah believe I, some other I quite odd i don't understand things. it so it can't be true almost seems to be yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i, I, I don't would understand find... that <laughs> no. but the, the, the thing is I, I i can see how certain forms of protestantism are guilty of the same dance around scripture as that to, to get calculations or I mean you can see it in applying a verse of uh, a week or is it a day is like a thousand years or a thousand years is like a day to then get a certain view of of creation or even some of the ways that the prophecies of Daniel are then to get yeah. to us which then means the second coming is going to come at X amount of time yeah. but to do it you have to get this patchwork of single verses yeah as you were saying, a bit of Daniel 4, a bit of Daniel 7, a bit of Revelation. And there's this idea that that's how you use the Bible, simply mm. because we've put verses and chapters into yeah. text that doesn't have them. Yeah. And that, that I guess for, for me, that's the, and I don't know if this works in, in a context of an interaction with JWs, but for, for me, it's very much now, well, what, what's the holistic view of scripture from mm. Genesis to Revelation? And if your verse is, counter to that overall picture mm. then it, you're reading it wrong yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, and yeah. uh, so i guess the importance of good exegesis what's the passage saying what's that in the whole storyline mm. um is so important and and that's both for christians and jw's yeah. is if we do this whole like i've got to take this verse here that verse yeah. there and we actually engage in that and we start arguing over that. What does that single verse mean? We're, we're kind of missing the point hmm. um, 
I, I think on that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, um, I was going to say that I know some people are saying that um, not aware of other things that JW is with. Another thing that uh, Craig, you might want to expand on for us would be helpful is obviously JWs uh, think that the cross is a, a idolatrous symbol of, mm. of paganism. And so they don't actually believe that Jesus died on a cross. They believe he died on a stake. And I'm always interested in my interactions with with JWs about how like, they're really into this. Like, like the fact like if, that Jesus dying on the cross is just a, a no no. Like mm. that that's idolatrous. And they'll they sort of it's almost like a hill they'll die on so that he died on a yeah. stake. It's very odd, you know, hands up like this, you know, mm. dying on a stake mm. rather than on a on a on a, on a cross. Mm. It's very strange. Could you explain yeah. a little bit about why, what's the, uh, uh, you know, the big issue with Jesus dying on a cross and, it, 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 and, and a stake instead? The part of the reasoning for it was they, they say, and it's, it's another one of those cases where they're kind of half right. They, they say that the, the Greek word stauros um, originally did just mean a, a stake. A long time ago it did just mean a stake but obviously words sort of change over time and, and by the time jesus was was executed it did mean a cross as well because it was a case of um you know if, if a new idea or a new concept comes into your culture and you don't have a word for it you either make one up or you adapt a mm. word you've got or you use somebody else's um and they had this word stauros which originally meant stake and they went well this is kind of a stake so we'll, we'll call one of these cross things stauros as well so the Jehovah's Witnesses, this only came about, I think it was sometime in the 1950s. And they, they hadn't made a big deal of it up until then. And they're actually old, old pictures, old pictures, old copies of the Watchtower. If you can get like a scanned copy or actually an original or something like that. Old issues of the Watchtower, they'd have a symbol on the front of a cross an actual cross with a with a crown around it and that was like just a little logo that they used to put on the front of their magazines then all of a sudden it disappeared and they started saying the cross is a pagan symbol the cross is idolatrous the cross is this dreadful thing and they come out with all these really weird things like they say well the cross was you know it was um it was a form of torture that was a form of worship to the babylon i think the babylonian god tammuz and they say that the the cross is like a T and you've got the T for Tammuz. So it's this pagan idea. And you go, you know, the Babylonian alphabet wasn't like ours, right? <laughs> but they say, but, and then they sort of drag out all these really weird etchings and things that have got something in that might look like a cross. And they say, well, it's a pagan thing and the pagans were doing it and the Babylonians were doing it and all these different people were doing it. I mean, my, one of my issues with that would be, look, what if it was a pagan thing? You're talking about the Romans that executed him and they yeah. were pagans. So they may well have used a pagan symbol to kill him, but they should have used I, a, a Jewish way of dying, or uh, you know. Yes, to, they should have. Yeah, that's what they should have done. But a non-pagan, a non-pagan. They should, yeah, they should have executed the Messiah with a non-pagan method of, of death. <laughs> but they've they've blown this up, like you say. It's almost a hill that they'll die on. And I think one way I heard it explained quite recently. Who was it? Um, Mike Winger. Do you know Mike Winger? Yeah, aware of him. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. He he said it almost seems like they've massively inflated this as a way to kind of get Christians almost off guard 
because like you were saying earlier Dan a lot of the time we haven't thought about these things we haven't thought people people don't generally think well if Jesus is in the garden and he's talking mm -hmm. to God who is he talking to if he is God and if they can turn up at the door and go we know it's a pagan symbol we've got all this proof it's a pagan symbol and it almost sort of chews away at the foundations of something that you might not have really thought about before and it's almost like trying to get into the back door where they say we know things that you don't know mm. and we know that there are all these pagan things going on with christianity as you as you believe it and we've got the truth and you've been misled mm. so they almost use it partly as a distraction away from the bigger issues like their bible translation has major problems and a lot of their doctrine doesn't stand up to scrutiny and they go let's talk about the cross instead and how it's a pagan symbol and then that will distract you it will distract the christians that you're talking to and we can make a really big thing about out of it about how we're the really pure religion and, and they're all based on all these pagan myths and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think they, it was kind of a tactical decision based on some very strange thinking. Hmm. It is very odd. I mean, different, you know, uh, different nations throughout history. And it goes back as there's a really good book by Martin Hengel. Uh, called Crucifixion. It mm. talks about the whole sort of historical tradition of, of, of um, different groups that had used crucifi crucifixion as a method of, of, of death, you know, going back to the Persians and mm. uh, you know, Babylonians and things. And there was a different way, you know, sometimes you'd literally get nailed to a tree. Other mm. times it might be on one bit of wood or outstretched mm. or uh, on a, 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 an X-style cross rather than a T-style cross. Mm. Um, but the, the Roman method uh, you know, was quite distinct as far as I'm aware and would have been a, you know, a T-style cross more often mm. than not. Not, not always, it depends on it's whether speed is of the essence, you know, in terms of, you know, killing people. Um, but that just tended to be tended to be the case. The thing yeah. that there was uh, the, the association with anything that's associated with pagan, I've always wanted to ask but never asked. It's like they make this thing like big on, like not celebrating birthdays and Christmas and, and, and things like that, Easter. Uh, but... Uh, you know, they're, they're quite happy to use the days of the week, which are also pagan, and, and yeah. the months. It's so, the calendar. You know, yeah, yeah they meet they meet on a Sunday. Well, mm. yeah, that that that's rooted in paganism, uh, and they meet on a Wednesday. Well, that mm. that's also rooted in paganism, uh, and they meet all twelve months of the year. Well, they're they're also rooted in sort yeah. of you know Roman and Nordic gods and and things as well. So, um, you know, everyone has a cut off. I guess theirs is. Um, you know, they're not too fussed about that. And it's, it's quite interesting as well, because if you look on the website, there are lots of things saying, you know, Christmas is pagan and Easter is pagan and the cross is pagan and, and the Trinity is pagan. And the fact that Christianity uses all these things just shows that their, their version of Christianity is pagan. But then wedding rings are based on a pagan tradition. And they've actually got an article on their website saying, yeah, wedding rings are based on a pagan tradition but we don't mean anything that the pagans want by it. we've, we've yeah. got a wholesome and godly reason for using it so it's okay for us to use wedding rings yeah it's confusing yeah, it's, it's like, it's like it doesn't make any sense so yeah it's just um well it's like there's loads of stuff isn't it i mean like um they meet in a building well buildings are probably pagan as well yeah more than like, i'm not I'm, I'm not sure christians or jews were the first people to use buildings and they they meet they meet in those yeah, uh, that's rooted in paganism. Yeah, um, yeah everything's rooted uh, in paganism if you go far I, I, I if think. Go, yeah, if you go far cups, I'm not sure if cups were first used by uh, by Christians and Jews, <laughs> and they well, served drinks in them, yeah. and that's rooted in paganism. Well, uh, knives well, and forks. I don't think a, Jews and Christians created knives and forks either. The concept of of um, written communication, you know, an alphabet. 
that's, that's pagan, yeah. Pagan culture. Yeah. I bet a toilet is pagan, says Callum in the comments. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, to, to, kind of, to kind of drag it back to the cross thing. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was really enjoying that. Um, but the, I You're... think the other point as well is like they'll say, oh, well, he didn't die on a cross. He died on a stake. Well, does it really matter? It's like sorry, I'm, picked, I'm picturing the wrong kind of snake. <laughs> sorry, I missed that. Sorry, I was picturing the wrong kind of steak when you said that. <laughs> You've been on this call for too long, Phil. You're getting really hungry. Yeah. I'm starting to get hungry. Um, yeah. No, I was, yeah I, so I think does, it matter, does it matter how he died? He came to die for our sins. It doesn't matter yeah. or if he was stabbed or if he was thrown off a cliff or if he was killed by dogs. He, he died for us. Yeah. You know? and, oh, and, and the... It is actually cursed is the one who dies on a tree and, and they use that relations as well and um take yeah. from Deuteronomy. So a, a, any bit of wood <laughs> yeah. that's kind of fulfills the role. And I, I think some of the things you're you're saying again, it, it plays on ignorance, some of these mm. uh proofs that are used. And you see them and I think it's again to point back to our own our own camp uh and i've seen people try and oh look uh, god has placed the cross in dna and they have these like yeah. uh, cells that kind of look cross-ish but not yeah. really <laughs> and there god god is in Lam our very laminin, the, yeah, the laminin, laminin, that's the one yeah laminin. and um uh, and it's things like that which are like well what is the point of what, that? yeah uh, we've got scripture revealed. Yeah, creation does reveal God mm. in many ways, but let's not go down this route of just pure ignorance and trying mm. to make things look like they they prove a point when they they're mm. really just barely memes. I know mean, I've seen it again uh, just to bring in atheism into this. Uh, you can go on to Atheist Republic and some of the stuff that they share. Like uh, Jesus's name begins with a J. <laughs> the, the, that that can't be true no. because they didn't have J in the. Uh, I know, yeah, and they say, oh well, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not are not Palestinian names from two thousand years ago. <laughs> I actually think that the atheist republic has has become the atheist equivalent of Babylon B. I yeah. think it's turned into a parody account, and nobody's told anyone they, they've just done it because some of the stuff they've been coming out with. It, it kind of you, you want to cringe for them, yeah. like that. Well, G Jesus begins with a J. Oh, yeah, don't don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we we have one question that's uh, probably <clears throat> now off topic, and we'll we'll kind of start closing things off. So if if you do want a question for us, um, then please do get it in the the chat. Um, loads of stuff. There's thanks for the comments. Uh, learning lots of strange things about JWs here. Thanks, Craig. Um, uh, yeah. yeah good stuff um so just uh where's the question gone callum asked us how how many of you guys are pre preterist uh that might go towards the chat as well but I, i'd say never go full preterist i don't know what that means it's basically things are fulfilled already so i, I apply that generally to revelation that things have been that have happened already um so everything in revelation was uh pointing to was basically fulfilled in 70 ad and, and things like that um that I'm none of it par future. partial preterist yeah partial preterist i think is is probably orthodox but full preterist is generally 
heresy. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, gonna I'm gonna withhold comment because I, I wasn't even sure what it meant, so it's not something I've really thought about. So uh, oh, just go for it. Just pick one. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it depends. If you want to come back on, um, you have to pick the right one. And if you yeah, get wrong, yeah. we'll have to we'll have to like 50, 50. Actually, with end times, the theology is probably about I don't know four or five <laughs> different views on that. Um, partial partial preterist. Um, oh, uh, the beast was Nero, etc. Yeah, so everything points back to Roman Empire. Mm. Um, partial preterism would be. It's a bit of both. I think some some of the things like they're using the image of the beast to point to both then and forward. Uh, that would be my response to that. Anyway, uh, Craig, last we'll, we'll go for the last question, which might take us for a, a few more minutes. Um, resources, books, podcasts. What what do you recommend? Um, and Dan, you might have some from your reading as well on on JWs, how to, how to interact, um, any books written by JWs that you'd say would be a good place to go to, uh, go straight to the source rather than... I would, yeah, I mean, they they have got literally hundreds upon hundreds of books and, you know, they bring out their magazine every week. Um, but they they pretty much, they summarise everything on their website. So just go to their website, jw.org. They, they don't keep anything secret. Well, they do keep... <laughs> but, but everything they believe, all of their arguments, all of their justification, all of their interpretation of scripture, their commentaries, their interlinear, everything they've got is on jw.org. So um, if you want to learn more about what they believe, which I, I'd strongly recommend, I don't, I, I think there's limited value in reading stuff that other people have written about their beliefs. Hmm. Just, just go straight to the source. They've got it all there. Um, as far as interacting with them, probably the best book would be um reasoning from the scriptures with jehovah's witnesses by ron, ron Rose. Rose. i was yeah. just about to say that's the one i was going to yeah, recommend i mean that that's a blinder you know he goes into he goes into everything that they believe but then he sort of um he gives like uh sort of like proper interpretation of the scriptures that they use um and he sort of offers arguments against things that, but also one of the really good things he does is he in each chapter when he sort of finished dealing with a topic or finished dealing with their interpretation of scripture he'll give you a sample open-ended question to to ask them so when you finish talking about you know the their interpretation of daniel 4 or something you'll say well ask them this and get them to think about it rather than challenge them directly get them to dig it into, into it themselves so yeah that that's probably the best book hands down for for learning how to interact with them but also the other one which I'm pretty sure I mentioned last time as well was um, that book, Crisis of Conscience, hmm. just to just to get a feel for what their life is like as part of the organisation, and sort of a bit of an inside view into into their beliefs, but more about just what it's like being a Jehovah's Witness and the kind of fear that they live under, really. Hmm. Um, podcasts, I'm I'm afraid are still not really a podcaster, so it's fine. Can't help you there. <laughs> the other thing as well, I, I'd say, is um, get get a systematic theology or something. I mean, at the at the risk of sounding a bit obvious, it's like if you're going to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, make sure you've got a really good handle on on our theology yourself, because they'll they'll run rings around you. Mm. So get a good systematic theology and, and go through it a lot, because um, 
this is challenging talking to them. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, not knowing what you believe mm. and, and yeah, and that's a good way of why you should go to the source for the responses anyway. If you mm. if comparing what they would argue for reverse and then mm. having something to compare, I mean, just on that point, I don't. I don't really have that many systematic theologies. Um, like some of them, are a bit, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit wary of some of the mainstream systematic theologies for, mm. for various reasons that I won't go into here. But what would you recommend? Um, I've only actually got two myself. I've got I've got Wayne Grudem's and I've got Louis Burkhoff's. They're the only ones I've got at the moment. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying not to buy any more books at the moment because my sort of owned to read ratio is is pitifully poor so i'm trying to i'm trying to lay off buying anymore it's not going very well yeah, but, I've, um, I've, yeah. I've gone for commentaries more recently than than mm. systematic theology so just to have yeah. someone that that digs into it a little bit more is is kind of helpful um callum thanks for the the encouragement glad it was fun um i'll have to i, I won't edit dan's comments they're not they're not that rude. <laughs> I got I got told off for, for I, I went I went too far. Uh, Mel, my wife told me off. She was right. I was when about the paganism stuff with the knives and forks. That was too far. Oh, was that too far? No, no, no. That's that's fine. It was a categorical imperative. I was it was it was a reductio. I was trying to show the absurd implications of a view were we to take it as seriously as they as they seem as they seem to do. But I, I should have stopped at the first one. I apologize. I've brought shame on my house. <laughs> um, uh, with an alternative systematic theology, uh, Millard Erickson, I think, is probably one of the better ones. Uh, he, he's he's written a good one. And who's the really fun? evangelical scholar who i really like michael bird he's got like an introduction to evangelical theology and it's he really good and, and and it's funny but like he's a he's an aussie uh guy aussie new testament scholar uh he's great and it, so it's his thing with nt right new testament yeah he has yeah he has he's written a thing with nt right he's he's great he's he's hilarious anything he does is really fun and he's just really knowledgeable and excellent and that's there's not very that's the only systematic sort of theology type book i've read that's actually quite yeah. fun to I flick need, through i need to write that down not that i'm going to buy it because i'm not buying any more books at the moment <laughs> I, I have a unique skill uh when it comes to yeah that's what my bookcase keeps going for i was actually given for, for christmas nt Wright's and michael bird's book um mm. trying to dig into that it is quite a solid bit of uh, work that so I, th I think that's where we're kind of we're coming to a close um so thanks everyone for for watching we'll, we'll kind of close it off there um craig thank you so much for, for being a part you. of tonight and as well as yeah, great. For the channel thank you it's great it's always good fun uh, <laughs> sorry was that i missed that i said i'm getting used to you guys now all oh, right okay yeah we, we we're sort of an acquired flavor i guess <laughs> cool well, thanks claire uh for watching on on facebook and, and thanks for the encouragement um cool we'll, we'll close it off um thank you all for for watching um obviously we've got the podcast and uh we've, we've just want to thank our patreons uh that support this show they have enabled us to upgrade this stream yard to go into hd which uh hopefully will help us on youtube but i've just noticed that we might have to stream straight to youtube and then 
premiere it on Facebook if we want to make use of it. So watch this space. We're going to make use of that. Um, also, just uh, your encouragement, sharing the channel, helping it grow is, is great. If you've got people that you'd like to see us interview, uh, feel free to send your ideas to us and we'll try and get them. We've got some very interesting people uh, we're in contact with at the moment. We've got uh, someone who's written uh, um, their PhD on the Trinity, which will be interesting uh, to engage with. Um, and then we've got Dr. Joshua Swamidas I'm talking to uh, about the genealogical Adam and Eve. Hopefully we'll get him in the next little while, as well as one of the many Peter Williams, uh, Peter J. Williams on trusting the gospel. And we've got a few more uh, coming up. So do subscribe, share, and uh, yeah, f follow us. And, and uh, we very much just enjoy what we're doing. So I hope you enjoy it as well. God bless you. Have a good rest of your week. And we'll see you probably in a couple of weeks' time. See you later. Are you not Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.